this week in communities, we watched a video, which is part of a series that we started last year in community, on this is church. Most of it brought to us, I think all of it brought to us, was Andrew Selly was recorded doing what we believe as Josh Jen. And what actually more important than what we believe as Josh Jen, actually, what is it that we see in the Bible that we should believe? So it's not, it's not just Jen, the church, putting something on us as believers. It's more us as Josh Jen going to God and looking at his scriptures and saying, God, what do you want us to be like? This is church. Not, not what we want church to be, to be, but actually a look at what does the word say? And a very important thing there is if we find things that we say, and I'm not saying we say as leadership, I'm saying we say as Josh Jen, each one of us, that doesn't line up with God, we should change it. Very important. And you need to know that each one of us has a voice there. None of us are just uh, forced into this is, this is what you have to do because we say so. It is we do this because we see God calling us into something of him. Very important distinction there. Now, in line with what Andrew was talking about, uh, for those that didn't see it, it's definitely worth going and, and, and watching it. It is on YouTube, available, uh, and it's about church discipline. It's about what happens when we find somebody in sin among us, and how, do, how does the church deal with that? And I'm not going to get into that too much today, but I do feel to teach a little bit or speak a little bit about sin. So let's read from the Word. Romans 3 verse 23. Still working. Great. For all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. No exception. All of us. All have fallen short of God's glory. We have all sinned. None of us. Not me. Nobody is exempt from that scripture. It, it, has, it includes all of us. And the important thing I would like you to think about if you've seen the thing on church discipline is, what would your response be if you are found in sin and somebody in the church, your brother next to you, another saint in the church, uh, a community leader, what if they come to you and say, we see this in your life and it is sin, what would your response be? Think about that as we, as we go through this. What would your response be? Because very often, we predetermine what our response is going to be before it happens. That's what, that's what drivers do. Formula One drivers do that. They train themselves to have an auto response. Because when you're traveling down a road at 300 k's an hour, and you're going to hit a 90-degree corner, it is too late for training when you get to the end of that straight you have to have an auto-response. Your foot's going to hit the brake. The car's going to slow down. You're going to flip through some, some gears. It's going to break the car, and you're going to turn last minute and miss the wall with five millimeters if you're a champion Formula One driver. But you can't do that if you didn't train. It was a response that was programmed in your brain before the time, and we all do that. We all re respond to a prompt more out of a predetermined idea. And that's why it's important to decide before the time, what will I do if somebody approaches me with something that they see in my life? Before we get there, a little bit of an explanation of what sin is. You might think it's not necessary, but it is. 
See, outside of the church, there is no sin. You might be lawless, you might break the law of South Africa, but we don't call it sin. Mostly, we make it sound a bit better. So somebody commits murder, and we call it what? Mental instability. A troubled childhood. And we make it sound better. Doesn't that sound better than sin? Or somebody drives too fast with his car, he loses control, and he... He actually ends up killing somebody. We say he has lost control over his vehicle. That's what's in the news. So-and-so drove down the road. They lost control of their vehicle. And maybe at the bottom of the report it'd be, and he was found to have a higher level of blood alcohol than was permitted. Doesn't sound so bad as sin. See, the world doesn't have sin. We, we call it sin. Why? Because in God, there are absolutes. In the world, there's a relative index. And in a sense, if I have enough money, I won't be wrong. I can buy my way out of anything, right? We might cry out to, towards it, so that's unfair, but that's how the world works. If I have enough power, I can escape consequence. Maybe if I have the majority vote, then I can do anything. Isn't that the world we live in? It is. But that's not how God's kingdom works. God has an absolute, and he calls it sin, and he calls it not sin. Now, if you go and talk to somebody that you see isn't sin, you know what? Normally, my response would be when somebody comes to me, definitely, I hope I don't do this, but we all are guilty of that. And your first response is, don't be so judgmental. Didn't God say we shouldn't judge? Isn't that in the Bible? You shouldn't be judgmental. If you're a Christian, you should love. You're not loving enough. You think you're better than me. You're looking down on me. Or you're just proud. And what we do is we throw that ball back as quickly as possible. It's a little bit more like tennis than it is like rugby. We're not on the team now. We're playing against. And what we try and do is we try and bat that ball so hard that it'll never come back to us. Because if I can point at the person that's talking to me and point their fault out, then I don't have to deal with the one in mind. But see, the concept of sin asks you to change something. It's not just the law in South Africa. It is actually sin. It, that's the problem the world would have with sin because they're not submitted to the living, all-powerful God. Because they're not under his rule, they don't know what to do with this thing called sin. But in God, you need to action something, something actions. Let's talk about something that... A lot of us sometimes get into smoking. I'm picking smoking because actually it's quite simple, guys. Smoking's wrong. Smoking is a sin. Cigarettes. We're not even talking about something else that would affect your brain even more. We're just talking normal cigarettes. It's, it's bad for you. That's, that's the first basis of why it would be wrong. Because it damages you. Yeah, but you, you, you need to know that it's my only vice. You need to know it's like very hard for me. It's my coping mechanism. Don't be so judgmental. You know how hard it is to quit. Actually, I do. I used to smoke. <laughs> I used to love smoking. We don't do things that are wrong because we don't like it. That would be utterly foolish and stupid, actually. Did I say that word? I did. <laughs> so please, if you're smoking and you're not enjoying it, stop today. It shouldn't be too hard. <laughs> It's too hot for smoking. I remember. 
you'll have to sit in your aircon to smoke today. But smoking, why am I bringing that up? Because it's actually quite a simple thing to deal with. Really, it is. It should be. And maybe the person that comes to you and points out something like smoking in your life actually cares enough to say, you know what, this thing is bad for you. Maybe they're not being judgmental. Maybe they're loving enough. Have you considered that? Maybe, maybe they're an ex-smoker, and they know what your lungs feel like after you've smoked 60 cigarettes in one day, and you wake up the next morning, and you, and you actually can't breathe properly the next morning. And from that experience, you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, way before the scientists and the doctors started actually saying, past money, that smoking is actually dangerous and, and bad for health. Everybody knew. They just chose not to say it. But anything that makes you feel that bad the next morning must be bad for you. It is no surprise that it causes things like lung cancer and, and emphysema. But in a sense, all Christians are ex-smokers trying to tell the world that smoking is bad for them. We know better, none of us are better than an ex-smoker saying, this is bad for you. We are, in a sense, we're all beggars that have found bread somewhere, and, and we found a source of bread, and we're actually going to a hungry world and saying, that's where the bread is. Follow me. That should be our heart when dealing with sin. Let's look at Jesus. Here's a little warning from Jesus' ministry. Don't think that you're better than Jesus if you're in the church. So Jesus was very popular when he healed the sick, made the walk, lame walk. Some authorities didn't like him, but the people were okay with that. They flocked to him in, in thousands, and then he fed them, and that was great. But the moment that Jesus started saying, guys, you need to deal with the sin in your heart. The moment that he came to the Sermon of the Mount, and he said, listen, it's not just the sin I can see as God that bothers me. It's the sin inside your heart that bothers me more. He lost his popularity. Everybody left. When he said, guys, you need to change, everybody left. Everybody left. Just the 12 got stayed. And he said, don't you want to go? They didn't say, we don't want to go. They said, where would we go? They wanted to leave. Even the 12, they wanted to leave. After three years, they said, where would we go? You have the words of life. So they found something more attractive than the pull of the world. And they couldn't leave. They were stuck. The simple definition of sin this morning for us is anything you do, say, think that displeases God. That also includes the stuff you don't do and don't say that displeases God. The theological definition of sin would be missing the mark, not hitting the bullseye, the absolute thing that God's got for you in your life. Either by doing something or not doing something. Saying something, not saying something. So how do we respond to sin? Sin's horrible. Sin kills you. So to see how we should respond to sin, maybe it's a good idea to see how it works, right? If you want to see what's wrong with your engine, you want to fix it, there's something wrong, you can hear it. The mechanic's first going to say, okay, what's wrong with it? I can fix it because I know what is not working. So first of all, let's see how it works. James wrote for us a good explanation of how sin works in our lives. James 1 verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, 
nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. And there it is, the story of what sin does. It leads to death. But the picture is actually of a man and a woman having intercourse. It's the desire. See, it's not temptation that's a sin. Jesus was tempted and he was sinless. It's the desire of your heart that's the problem. How did Jesus not sin when he was tempted? His desire was for, to do the will of his God, Father. That's how he stood against temptation. See, there was no desire to do evil in his heart that could actually lead him away from his father. And because there was no desire, there was no conception. Like a baby that's conceived in the womb of a mother. It's hidden. You can't see it. Can you, can you see the picture of sin? That long before anybody does anything wrong or says anything wrong, there's a desire in their heart for something. And then when temptation comes, when the opportunity comes, there's a little seed that sprouts up. And that we call enticement. And now there's conception. It's a little baby in the womb of a mom. She doesn't even know it's there yet. That's how deceitful sin could be. That there's a conception there that now it's growing. But somewhere that conception gives birth. Somewhere, somewhere that baby is carried full term. And there, there it is. Out in the open. Now it's sin. So not the desire is called sin. The thought is called sin. But the moment that it becomes visible, it's called sin. It's now birth. But like a baby, it doesn't kill you immediately. That baby now grows up in your life to be a strong, rooted sin. And it fortifies itself in you until you identify with that sin in your life to the point where that then gives birth of its own thing, and that is death. So by feeding the sin, by repetitively indulging in the sin, searing the feeling that the Holy Spirit is saying, don't do it, don't do it, the voice of the Holy Spirit, and it goes, don't do it, don't do it. And the Holy Spirit has disappeared in your life. And you can just sin and not even feel bad anymore. And now there's death. What does it look like? You cannot hear God's voice anymore. The Holy Spirit is gone. Everybody else is worshiping in the front here, and you have no desire to join. What is it that has disconnected you so far from God that you don't even look, you're not even looking for that relationship anymore? What can you do? Well, in how sin works, we can find the way to get out of it. And I want to start at the beginning. How do you deal with your own desire? That desire that can entice you, how do you deal with it? In Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5, it says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself against the knowledge of God, knowing God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. There we go. You can stop that thing before it actually gives birth to, or before it's conceived. So you know it. All of us know that there's a thought in your head before there's a thought. You have knowledge of your thinking before you think it. Yes? You drive in your car in Cape Town. That happens often. doesn't ever happen in Oatswaran. 
Thank you, Jesus, for living here. You're driving in your car, traffic is bad, you're a half an hour late for work now, and you're stuck in traffic. And now somebody pushes in front of you. That is a feeling. You go like, oh. In reality, it just cost you a split second. But in your, in your head, in your anxiousness, you have the desire to be on time for work. But you didn't set your alarm clock early enough, see? But you're not going to make that your problem. That's his problem. He's just pushed in. Now I'm going to even be even later. And the next guy. And you know that thought's there before it's there. I'm going to hoot at this guy and show him signs and wave my arms. And then you think it. I'm doing it. And then you do it. And now you're angry. Actually, really, that anger doesn't start right there. Nobody jumps out of his car and runs to the guy in front and pulls the guy out of the car in front of him and hits him. I have seen this happen. And yes, every single one of us is actually capable of that. We can think we're not. But if, if you have that desire strong enough and you actually give in to those thoughts, you could get to the sin much further than you ever thought you would go. But you can take that thought captive. You cannot think that thought. Literally, you can go, happy thoughts? I'm going to think happy thoughts. <laughs> Breathe deep. Think about, yeah, what would be a happy thought? Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Try and get cross at the guy in front of you while you're reciting scripture. <laughs> Why wouldn't you? Because your thoughts have now turned to God. Because you've taken the thought captive and directed your brain to where it should go instead of where it shouldn't go. It is what that scripture says. It is, you, you take it captive and you make it, make it obedient to, to Christ. Not it happens on its own. You make it obedient to Christ. It's an act of your will. Okay, now, oops, you didn't take the thought captive. And it's grown and you've done it. Or it's conceived. What do we do in that, at that level? Am I stuck? Is it too late for me? Will it grow and kill me? Well, 1 John 1 verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. What an incredible scripture. No matter what you've done, no matter what you haven't done, this scripture is for us. If you confess your sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive. Now, I'm going to tell you, there's some stuff that I did that if God was just towards me, I wouldn't forgive me. I wouldn't. If I think back over my life, there's some stuff that I've done that I'm really not proud of. And I could find it tough to think that a just God would look at humanity and say, that's forgivable. That's not the just. Justness of God is that Christ died for my sin. My my punishment should be death, separation from God forever. The justice of God says, Jesus paid for you. Therefore, I can't see your sin anymore. So it really doesn't, doesn't matter what the sin is. When you bring it to the cross, God forgives it again and again. It's got to be in repentance, though. You acknowledge it and confess it. Put sin to death before it kills you. In Colossians, we read, put to death 
Therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, and now it names a couple of things, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, and these things are actually just idolatry. These things set anything in your life higher than God. Put to death, meaning be quite ruthless with it. If you belong to God, he says you're a new creation in Christ, yes? So let's say, let's say you have some sort of a sickness. Leprosy is used as a picture of sin in the Bible. So you're leprous, right? And you go to the doctor and the doctor gives you medicine. Yes, we can cure leprosy today um, with medicine and treatment. It's not easy, but it can be done. And... And the doctor says, you, you're good. Leprosy literally lets you rot. Your, your flesh starts rotting. It's a terrible sickness. You lose your fingers, your body parts, starts rotting off your body while you're still alive. That's what sin does. As it grows and spreads through your body, you, you have rot. But now you're clean, yes? It's great. You've confessed your sin. Jesus has made you whole, given you your fingers back. It's great. And then one morning you wake up and you get into the shower and you go, you're washing and you go, what's this thing? And you look in the shower and it's back. Leprosy has returned. Small little spot here. What would you do? Would you put a shirt on and not tell anybody? Or would your first phone, phone call be to the doctor that healed you? And sin in your life is really that. When you see sin in your life, it's leprosy on you. It's rotting flesh. It's gross. Personally, when I find sin in my life, I, 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 I'm a little bit freaked out. I'm horrified would be the right word. Something we'll get to is how do we, do we deal with sin in others. But as elders, actually, us, we repent our sin openly in front of you guys. Why? As an example. So this morning, my wife wanted to help me. This is me confessing my sins. Because when the Holy Spirit speaks, we should do it. And this morning, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. This morning, my wife was trying to help me. I ran back to go get fans, those ones. And then my phone started playing some odd thing on YouTube. And I couldn't stop the thing. And I want to get back to church, and this thing wouldn't stop. And, and I open YouTube on my phone, but it's not playing anything, but I can hear it playing something. And I'm, I'm just agitated and can't get it. And then she says to me, just give me your phone and, so that I can go on. Tell me exactly what you said. Give me your phone, I'll quickly help you. I didn't hear that. I heard, let me do it for you because you can't do it. <laughs> just give me your phone because you don't know how that thing works. And you just, that's what I heard. That's what I heard her say. That's not what she said. But see, in that moment, I didn't hear my wife as kind and helpful, which is what she is. I heard her differently. And that, was, that brought sin about so I was immediately angry. <laughs> yeah. I went, from, I went from temptation to birth in one second for that sin. <laughs> Didn't take nine months to get there for me this morning. I just let it go. <sighs> That's what my response. My poor wife. She goes, can I help you? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> that sin will kill me. It'll kill our relationship. If I don't deal with it, if I don't grab it and rip it out of my life and change it and take thoughts captive and bring it, force it 
into line with what Christ says I should be as a husband. It'll kill us and it'll kill me. We should confess our sins one to another. That's how you put it to death. It's by going to your brother, going to your community leader and saying, I've got this thing that I'm struggling with and maybe I've sinned. Maybe it's given birth. It's not a confession so that you can feel better because you said it. It's a firm resolve in your heart to get rid of that rot, of the rotting flesh on you. It is going to the doctor and saying, help me. I can't. I, I need help. I'm horrified to find it in me, on me, still there. I got saved when I was 21. I'm 55. Goodness, can't I control my, my, my words towards my wife? The answer? No, I can't. Actually, no, the answer is yes, I can. How? The Holy Spirit in me. The conviction of the Holy Spirit that says, no, 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 you repent publicly. You tell the church. If next Sunday I preach and I come up here and say, hey, guys, I need to repent. This week I did this and this and this. Then you need to start going, wait a minute. Why are you not getting a handle on this in your life? What else is wrong? How do we help you? Not see how bad Davi is. He can't even control his temper and, and what he says. No, that's not the thing. It's how do we come alongside one another and help each other? How do we find the root of that? What is the root of me getting agitated in an instant? My wife and I are working at that. It's to find that thing in me. Because I want it out. I want it gone. I don't want that to happen ever. No matter how much pressure there is. I don't want it there. Seek repentance and renewal. Psalm 51 verse 10 says this. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. If we ask God, he will do it for you. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put death to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. It's everywhere in the Bible, guys. You've got to kill it before it kills you. I'm quickly going to take two minutes to say, what do we do with sin in others? Because dealing with sin in your own life is more important than dealing with sin in somebody else's life. Why? Because the sin in me disqualifies me in your eyes. It shouldn't, but it does. Don't you struggle with the same thing? Can't talk to me. Doesn't the Bible say you've got to take the thing out of your own eyes so that before you take the splinter out of mine? Well, if you're if you're an optometrist or ophthalmologist, it'll be a good thing there is nothing stuck in your eye the size of a beam when you try and help them to get a little splinter out of their eye. And it's the same concept. I've got to be able to see clearly. So helping somebody else with their sin first starts with humility and rightfully looking at yourself and making sure that you bring everything in line with Christ. Look at yourself first. Then... Two categories. One, people in the church, brothers, the rest of us sitting here, right? So I see something in William's life that's not right. And he comes to my house often, so I might see something. Or in Nathan's life, that's not 100%. And it's happened. <laughs> and it's happened. What do I do? Well, what does Scripture say we do? It says, if you see your brother sin, then... You should restore that person gently is one of the things. But in Matthew 18, it says, uh, verse 15, it says, Go and point out their fault just between the two of you. 
important, just between the two of you, don't discuss it with somebody else. I think I've seen something in William's life. I might actually be wrong. Maybe his intent is not what I think it is at all. It's how it works out that doesn't line up with what something I think. So when I approach him, I would go, William, I think I've seen something in you. Is this true? And then he goes, no, it's not. <laughs> but this is what I saw. And, it, and Scripture says that if I'm right and he is wrong, that there is something wrong in his life, there's an option that I might be wrong. and There might be nothing wrong. And it's just between the two of us. So it's cool. I haven't made a mistake. I haven't told everybody about it. And, but maybe he is wrong and he can see it. And he's horrified by the sin in his life. And now I've saved his life. I go to, to William and I say, William, I see this in your life. And he says, no, I can't see it. And I say, well, explain it to me how you see it. And he explains it to me. And I say, mm, I can't use William for this. But let me give you an example. What happens is somebody gets involved with another person. This is really what happens. And you go to that person and you say, you know what, are you guys, are you guys having a, a sexual relationship? Yes, we are. Well, you're not married. You know that that's sin. Yeah, but we intend to get married, so it's fine. And now from Scripture, you try and show your brother, listen, actually, no, the Word doesn't say that. The Word says this. And God, actually, no, it's not true. And they can't see it. And now the Scripture says, now you want to establish the truth by more than one witness. So now I go to Stephen. I say, Stephen, would you come with me and talk to this person? Because I've tried to show them something, and I think I'm right, but they can't hear me. That's the intent. So that by more than one person, the truth can be established. I might still be wrong. It might be some other thing, the way I'm actually getting it wrong. Therefore, now two people go, hint, don't go to Stefan and tell him all about your viewpoint. Convince him that you are right. And once he sees it your way, go and tackle the next person. That's unfair, right? Take Stefan, if you, if you trust him and his input, I do. I do. Take Bernard. Take Dirk. Take, yeah, Miles. Those gray hair has a lot, lot of knowledge. Peter. I'm just calling some names out of people that I would trust to take with me. Frick. Take one of those people, take with you, without setting it up and say, can you be a witness with me? Because there's this thing that I'm seeing in this person's life, and you present it again as if it's the first time. Obviously, you're going to discuss it with the other person. Listen, can, I, can we talk to you? Can I bring so-and-so? Would you be comfortable with that? Because I'm really worried that you can't see that this thing is going to kill you. My heart is to show you that what, what you're in is going to kill you. That's my heart. It's not to prove that I'm right. And you're, it's, my heart is for you. And hopefully now, with the other person saying, now you do it, and the person just says those things, and the person you brought with well, maybe that person says, no, Dovi, actually, I would go, I don't think you're right. I don't think uh, whatever is actually as wrong as you think it is. I think you're seeing it wrongly. That has happened. And now it's, okay, great. Or he says, no, I, I see it the same way. And maybe he's got better words than I do. Maybe he's got a relationship. Maybe, and he can show that other person, this is sin, and that person responds, and we've saved a life. And then Andrew went into it, 
what happens if that doesn't work. So that's all in the video. I'm not going to not going to deal with that. Otherwise, we just, we're going to stay here till tomorrow. What do we do with people in the world that are not saved, and we see them sin? You can pray for them, you can love them, but in the world there is no sin. The world is immoral anyway. And do I have a scripture for that? I do. It says, uh, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral, or the greedy or swindler or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or a sister that is in unrepentant sin. You hear that? When we see people that are not saved, that are not in the church, that sin, it is not for us to put our Christian morality on them. Do we know that the sin they're in would also lead them to death? Well, in a sense, they're not alive. They need to experience God in your life. They need to see your light shine of love. They need to see how much we love one another. That is so enticing that they go, yo, I want that. I would give anything to have that. And then the Holy Spirit will convict them of their sin. If they ask you, how do you do this? Yes, be quick to respond. Be quick to say, and what works the best? Your own testimony. Don't get into their life and tell them how bad their life is and therefore they're going to die. It would be hard for an unsaved person to hear that and then respond positively. Actually, you know what? Let me tell you about my life. I was lost. I was sad, I was lonely, my life was a mess, but this and this happened in my life, and God broke in it, and it was a moment, and since then, the Holy Spirit is working in me, and bringing me to life, and taking that which is wrong out of me, that's our response to sin, and to the world, so this morning, here's a question, are there any sins in our lives this morning? As I spoke, the Holy Spirit started reminding you of something, a thought. Are you holding out something in your heart against somebody else? Do you know that a brother or a sister has something against you? The Bible says don't even eat before you've sorted that out. Leave the food and go to that person that you think has something against you and make sure that it's sorted out. And that's brothers and sisters in the church. Do not let that go. Go to the person and say humbly, Do you, are you harboring something against me? Give them the opportunity. If you are the person harboring something, go to that person today. Go to that person and say, help me deal with my heart. Do it humbly. Don't go to the next person and say, you have. And I've always wanted to tell you that you have done this to me. No, actually the problem is unforgiveness. The problem is, I have not forgiven you. Don't turn an apology into an accusation. It's just a thought that I've got now. But is there desire in your heart that when you are tempted will lead you into sin? Desire for more things? Desire for more power? More success? More recognition? Desire for more things? Earthly stuff? Wealth? Because when the temptation comes, to earn more and do less in God's kingdom, you would take the earn more option. That's the temptation. When the temptation comes to, 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 to fill out that little thing on your tax return differently so that you could get a little payment back from SARS, 
which you are not due, you would think, I think I can get away with this. And you tick that box. No, I have no foreign investments. They'll never find it. What have you got in your life this morning that is hidden, or not that hidden, that you want to bring to God before it kills you? It means that in your heart you want to make a decision that you'll not do it again. It means that you're going to make right what is wrong. It means that you're going to go tell somebody, your community leader, the person that's sitting right next to you now, be wise. Will you choose? Be wise. Can we close our eyes? I want to I wanna give all of us a chance. I'm going to ask everybody to close your eyes. And actually, this morning, I'm not, I'm not calling for salvation. So I'm not going to look <laughs> who responds to this because I don't need to know. So this morning, I'm with literally nobody watching. Will you respond to God? Will you raise your hand as, as a signal for yourself? God, there's, there's something in my life. God, there's sin in my life. God, I want to repent. God, please forgive me. Forgive me. Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. And I'm sorry. And I don't want to do it anymore. Holy Spirit, come and dwell in my heart this morning. Come and fill that space in my heart. Come and fill my desire and shape it to desire more of you. To bring my desire of my heart into the line with what Christ has for me. You can put your hands down. This morning, if you, if you have anything against a brother or a sister, anybody in the church, can I ask you that you would deal with it? Either today or tomorrow. Don't, don't let it go. This is how the world will know that we are his disciples by the way we love one another. We cannot let anything stand between us. Because that takes away the testimony to the world. And can I ask you this morning that if you know or you think you know of somebody that's doing something, they've got something in their life that they don't see as sin, will you go to them? But in humility, would you go to them? So I think. And then if somebody comes to you this morning or tomorrow and they say, I think, would you open your heart? Would you consider those words and say, I'll search myself for the truth. God, show me the truth, please. I don't want to walk around with leprosy. See it as the love that it is. If we live like that, the gates of hell will not prevail. The kingdom of God will advance. The word will spread from Otsuren to the furthest reaches of this planet, saying, God is alive. There are people there that love one another enough to speak to one another and to hear one another.